I remember the first time I purchased a record, this is back in the 1980s, of a Bruckner symphony, and I listened to it and was really fascinated and swept up by it. So much so that I decided to take a walk around the park outside of my apartment and come back and listen to the record again to make sure that it was, it still had that same impact, and it did. That's Dr. Benjamin Korstvet, professor of music at Clark University in Massachusetts. He's an active researcher and Bruckner scholar. I recently spoke with him and Maestro Warren Cohen of Musica Nova Orchestra to talk about the upcoming world premiere of the 1878 version of Anton Bruckner's Fourth Symphony. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. So, Dr. Korstvet, you are a professor of music at Clark University, where you got your BA, and you're a Bruckner scholar. Just have to ask off the bat, what drew you into this type of work in Bruckner symphonies? Well, the thing that initially drew me into into Bruckner and is his music. I first discovered the music and really began to be passionate about it shortly after I graduated from college. And what drew me into it was simply the power and the beauty of the music. I remember the first time I purchased a record, this is back in the 1980s, of a Bruckner symphony, and I listened to it and was really fascinated and swept up by it, so much so that I decided to take a walk around the park outside of my apartment and come back and listen to the record again to make sure that it was, it still had that same impact, and it did. And I, ever since then, I've just been a great uh, lover and admirer of Bruckner's music. You've done a lot of work on his um, Fourth Symphony, his Eighth Symphony. Uh, you study the form and meaning of Bruckner symphonies. What's the what's the best or easiest way for you to describe the meaning of Bruckner symphonies? There are a number of aspects to his music. It's a pretty broad ranging, expressive world, ranging from some very vigorous almost dynamic and at times folk-like elements. Maybe the most characteristic aspect of Bruckner's music is its sense of spirituality. Often the music really seems to achieve a, a, a quality of, of almost sublime expression, of reaching for something larger, for some something maybe beyond the ordinary realm. Absolutely. And then you are also on the editorial board of the new Anton Bruckner Complete Edition. And that kind of relates to your discoveries and the upcoming concert on May 1st, correct? Yes, very much so. Uh, Bruckner was a composer more than almost any other composer who revised his works quite often. And the Fourth Symphony in particular was really a, a transitional, a pivotal work in his career. And it's one that as a result of his efforts to really achieve a kind of um, artistic breakthrough into a new style, he revised it a number of times in pursuit of his his ultimate vision of the piece. And what we will hear this upcoming, uh, I guess, on May 1st, is a version that he, he composed sort of in the middle of that process. And remarkably, it has never been performed in its full form. So can you describe that a little more in depth? how the first performance came from the Vienna Orchestra in 1881. The 1878 version is the world's premiere. There were all of these different revisions of it. Can you explain that a little bit deeper to uh, myself and our listeners? Yes. um, Bruckner composed the symphony initially in 1874, 
And over the course of several years, as his style evolved, he went back and reworked the symphonies substantially. He replaced the third movement and the fourth movement completely, revised the first two movements very heavily, and prepared to have it performed. And he had it copied out um, in complete form, prepared for performance. And then for some reason, which is a little mysterious, he withdrew the last movement and composed a substantially different movement and replaced the one he had written in 1878. And also he made some cha- when the symphony came to performance in 1880-81, he made some additional changes and removed an important passage from the second movement. And um, as a result, that 1878 version was never performed and it was left. And there are a number of manuscript sources, including the handwritten score of Bruckner from, from 1878 and some other materials in Vienna that provide, that preserve the 1878 version. And I was able to recover that, that, um, that version and produce a modern edition of it. Okay. And how is that uh, relating to the book you're working on currently, or has that been completed? Um, no, it hasn't been completed. It's it's in process. I'm I'm really strongly driving to have it ready to appear on the market in eighteen uh, nineteen. No, 20, <laughs> I'm really trying hard. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm trying very I'm trying very hard. I'm working with the publisher to have it um, appear on the market in twenty twenty four, the Bruckner year, um, and I'm I'm calling it a biography of the Fourth Symphony because it really attempts to recount the really fascinating story of the history, the the genesis and development and performance of the Fourth Symphony across its entire um, lifespan, so to speak, from its earliest conception until its publication and performance in in 1890. And where would you say Bruckner falls in relation to performances inside the concert halls? His music is widely performed. It's a music that many orchestras are eager to perform. It's challenging for orchestras. Um, brass players love it because it's got magnificent brass parts. Um, so it's a steady presence in the concert hall. And I, and I believe, and this is actually one of the missions of the Bruckner Society of America, it's it's a music that has been steadily, slowly but steadily gaining in popularity. And, and even during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, there's a real desire to perform and to hear Bruckner's symphonies and, and his other music. And that brings us to Maestro Warren Cohen, who is here with us. You've been the music director for Musica Nova Orchestra since 2003. How did you two connect and how do you respond to this piece? Are you performing it because it's neglected? Is it just this particular version? And what also what drew you in to work on this huge project? Well, actually, what happened was is that I contacted Ben about doing um, the last version of it, the 1890 version of it, which has been somewhat maligned by a lot of people. I mean, most people perform the 1881 version, um, and that ver- and I, I was interested in doing that. And uh, Ben suggested to me that I do this particular version because it had never been done. And um, so I decided to take a look at it and I thought, well, that would be that would be an interesting thing to do. And, and it fit very much with the mission of Musica Nova because Musica Nova does things that other orchestras don't do. 
And one of the uh, things I've done in the past is I've done kind of wayward versions of Bruckner symphonies. Um, and this fit kind of into that pattern uh, uh, of some of the other Bruckner symphonies I've done in, in, in versions that other people generally ignore. And I do it at least partly from a musicological standpoint, because I think it's fascinating for people to hear them, to hear what, what Bruckner did. And it, it's kind of gives you an insight into his brain. It's like you are watching the process of him developing a composition. And what I'm doing is when I perform a version of it that's not usually done, it's showing a moment in Bruckner's consciousness that perhaps we're unaware of and will give us greater insight, I think, at times into the more familiar versions of those same pieces. And um, what is different about this concert than some of the other neglected works that you've done besides it being like such a difficult piece to study and then perform? Well, it's what's different about it is that it's a Bruckner symphony and that's the only work on the program. Um, when I've done, I've done Bruckner symphonies before and they've been the only work on the program. But a lot of the music that we do at Musica Nova is music that's been either suppressed or neglected, or sometimes it's new music. And from that point of view, so a lot, a lot of what we do fits into the category of being somewhat different. And I guess what's unique about this particular performance is that it is a world premiere of a symphony by Anton Bruckner written in 1878, which is an astonishing fact. And the fact that it has never been performed is itself astonishing. There, there have actually been um, a few preliminary attempts to get it performed that, that failed. Um, and so, why did it fail? Because it is, it's, it is amazing that it's a world premiere. I'm was yes. gonna follow up with why, why is it taken until now? Uh, ben, you should probably answer that. <laughs> Well, I think in in a sense, the reason is very simple that the music was not available in in a performance edition until now. Oh, okay, it right. wasn't available in a performance. Um, no, edition. it was it was right. It was it was not published during Bruckner's time, and it really was a matter of going into the archives and finding the the, the manuscripts and deciphering them to some extent and putting them together to to re to reconstruct this 1878 version. Mm, okay. And so when you're um kind of approaching approaching this kind of work um are either of you constantly studying or does there have to be silence like what frame of mind do you have to be in to look at this and and give your own interpretation and your own arrangement like can you talk a little bit about that well yeah i could i could say an interesting thing about this what's fascinating about about me looking at this version is i had certain conceptions in mind about how i would want to do Bruckner for and when I took a look at this version, it turned all of that on its head because simply by the fact that it is so different from the other versions, I had to reconsider everything because in particular, the last movement, which is called the Volksfest movement, is it virtually never been heard. Mm -hmm. 
and um, virtually never heard in the context of, a of the complete symphony. And it completely changes the way I have to look at the first movement. So what it is, is that you have to look at, at least from my point of view, I'm looking at it as a totality. What was Bruckner thinking of, of the total piece in 1878? And how was that different from the way he thought of it in 1881 or in 1888 when he revised it again? What is there that is unique about that? And that affects everything. That affects the balances that I use between the instruments. It affects the tempos I take. Um, I'm taking tempos that are different than I would take if I was doing a later version. Um, and it, it affects the way in which I look at it. And one particular wonderful uh, detail is, excuse me, uh, one particular <laughs> detail there is that the um, second movement um, is marked in two instead of in four. And it says the tempo is different. It says andante quasi allegretto. And that means that I have to perceive that movement in a different way. And because there's been a whole new passage added to the movement that's never been heard in concert before, um, that also changes it. So that whole second movement is, is kind of radically different than the way in which it's usually heard. And it's going to be, it's going to sound very different in the context of that piece. So it's like, I try to take it as being a moment in time. This is a moment in time. This was Bruckner. 1878, and we're going to present, I'm going to try to get into his headspace for that particular moment and try to create something that I think is true to what, to what the music is giving us. Absolutely. And that like perfectly explains because people, um, in casual music listeners or people who go to see a symphony for the first time are always like, what is the conductor doing? And what you just described is basically trying to get closer and closer each time you play a piece to exactly what you said that what the composer was going, what was going on in his mind. Yeah, and it's 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 you know it'll never be exactly what what it is, but it's like it's going to be mm -hmm. true to his vision, and I want to remain true to his vision. And there's there's a lot of things that like just details. You spend a lot of time on the detailed music. Now, it's interesting because, you know, in Ben's position, he's looking at it from a musicological standpoint. He's going through the score and saying, what is different about the score from one version to the other? I have to consider that. Okay. But I also have to look at it from the point of view of how can I communicate this to an audience? How can I get the music? Or not me. It's not, I'm not doing the communicating. How can I get the musicians to communicate that to the audience, that uniqueness of this music to the audience. And I think that the term you used, Warren, is a really important one of communicate. And mm -hmm. in writing this symphony, Bruckner several times said that his mission was to write a, a symphony that would be popular and that could make an effect on the audience. And over the course of his work on the symphony, he was clearly trying to um, create a work that would be as effective, as communicative as possible. Mm -hmm. In one of your articles, Dr. Korsvet, um, you described, um, I think you were talking about the late 19th century Vienna and Bruckner, Bruckner symphonies. And I wasn't sure, I'm trying to re recall, but you said, you know, he was writing as a means to build a community of feeling. Can you, and I feel like that kind mm -hmm. of describes what you just said a little bit. 
Yeah, I think that I was referring to a, a, an important a quotation by an important um, German music critic, Paul Becker, who said that the symphony is the uh, musical form that, just as you said, builds a community of feeling. And that's an important experience, I think. Clearly, and I'm sure Warren would agree with this, an orchestra itself is a community of feeling. It's a, it's a group that comes together for a performance and also an audience. And that's part of what's so important about attending a live performance, of, of being present as a group. And I think folks who come to the concert will feel this this collective uplift as a result of, of being present and being part, in a sense, of the audience of the performance. Yeah. Related to that, I'd like to point out that Bruckner's music is by far best heard live. Yes. <laughs> It is music that is meant for live performance. Uh, being in a hall and hearing a Bruckner symphony is an extraordinary experience. And there really is nothing like it. And no matter what, how great your, your system is at home for pre-producing sound, it'll never be as the same. And that's partly because he had such an acute ear for acoustical phenomena. I mean, his way of building sound is extraordinary, and it only comes through live. Mm. Did you have time because of the past two years in the pandemic to dig into something as, you know, as weighty as this? Are you, t- are you talking about in my, my, my own work? Um, both of you. I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm assuming, um, Warren, that, you know, it, the pandemic may have affected your position more than Ben's, but I'm just yeah, wondering. Sure how, well, I mean, just, you know, the freedom to research and write. Um, I, I certainly did. You know, my my day job is as a professor, and I'm currently chair of the Department of Visual and Performing Arts. And so the pandemic, you know, caused all sorts of additional challenges for us. But um, I did. And, and, and in a way, writing the book that I'm currently writing has been tremendously educational. It's It's challenged me to plunge into the music in different ways than I have in the past and really to come to terms with some of the musical and expressive characteristics of the music. And one of the great things about great music, and certainly this is true about Bruckner, is that it is music that is, in a sense, inexhaustible. That each time you re-encounter it, each time you perform it again, or study it again, or, or um, hear it again, there's more to be learned and to, dis- to be discovered each time. Yeah, I'd say that for for me, it was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I'd say that my world got smaller. I mean, I was used to working with a fairly large orchestras, and uh, I have two positions, and both of them were basically on hiatus for the better part of a year, a year and a half. Then we started doing smaller concerts and, and, and some outdoor things, and it's interesting. I mean, I found that I went in, in detail in certain types of music. I I practiced the piano a lot, which I hadn't done in a number of years, and uh, went through a bunch of repertoire. But it changed my thinking about some things. I think that I, um, I, 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 I think that it's not a terrible thing to have some time in your life where you don't have to do the usual things you do, because I wasn't on autopilot anymore. I was, I was going. Oh, let me think about this. Let me think about that. I mean, I, I studied certain works. Um, Bruckner four was not one of the works I had intended to study, but, uh, near the end of the last year, that became something that I did, uh, spend some time on, you know, but some of the other things I studied, like, 
Haydn's creation and stuff. Those were works that I, I was looking at from a completely new perspective by virtue of the fact that I had the time to actually look at them. Yeah, I talked to some other um, musicians and uh, touring artists who said they kind of fell back into um, like the way it was in college where they just get to spend so many hours studying. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is something I miss yeah. about being in college some days, having, <laughs> having, having all the time to practice and, yeah, yeah. and then go see your friends. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so a little bit, um, just have a couple more questions. I wanted to go back to um, a little bit more about the concert for our listeners to hear about the fourth movement is something they've never heard. That's right. That's correct. And he titled it Folk Festival. So you were talking about how you're thinking about how you have to rework this and conduct it. Um, can you tell us why? So it's just a different um, a different mood than the way Bruckner would usually finish a symphony. Um, and why did, why did he title it Folk Festival? That's an interesting thing because it's, it's what it was, was that in the later versions, the later versions from 1881 and the 1890 version, he, um, the mood got much darker. I mean, the, a lot of it was in E flat minor in those later versions. And this was kind of a more, um, a lighter mood than there is in the others and a kind of a more cheerful mood in some ways. And it has that the folk element is stronger. And I think he decided that that conception was not appropriate at some point, or who knows what he decided. But um, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's actually radically different. Now, there's, there's four versions, because there's the one that from the original 1873-74 version, um, that version um, is in some ways more strongly connected to the later ones, 1880, 81, and 1890, whereas this one is quite different in a lot of ways. Um, but it's um, that lightness that it has, which I think was part of his attempt initially to try to, again, you know, Ben had mentioned before him wanting to write a popular communicative symphony. And I think he went in that direction thinking that would be the way he would go to get that across. And so in doing it, I wanted to emphasize some of that lightness as well and some of those folk elements in it. And um, it'll have a, you're, it's quite different than the finale that people are used to. Those who know the piece, um, they'll recognize some of the tunes, but um, where they're placed, how they're placed, how they're developed is, is quite different. And it's, it's going to be, and some of the material is completely, was completely eliminated. Uh, in the later versions, including the very opening of the movement, which is completely different. Oh, wow. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that, but that's going to be exciting. And how long is uh, this version? How, what would you say is the runtime? The runtime, yeah, this is, uh, Bruckner symphonies have a tendency to uh, have hugely varied uh, time, uh, time frames. I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, I did um, Bruckner six and my version was 48 minutes. And there are some that are as much as 64. Wow. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I did a Bruckner five in a version that's usually takes about 65 and mine took 75. So the, these could vary a lot. My guess is based upon how I'm thinking of is that mine will run just under an hour. Cool. Um, so Dr. Korsvet, how many people out there are doing what you do? 
Um, not so many. It's a, it's a kind of a special, it's a niche field, I guess. Um, th- there's a group, there's a community of Bruckner scholars, um, pretty tight knit community, uh, both in this country, also in, in Europe and in, in obviously mostly based in Vienna and, and German scholars. Uh, so it's a pretty small group. Um, you know, maybe eight, 10 folks, I guess, who, who are actively involved in it. That would have been my guess. It's so rare. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to wrap up by asking you for our listeners, for new audience members, or for people who do what you do. What is your why? Why do you invest in this kind of work? Well, in a sense, I think it's just a a passion, a curiosity. Um, it's one of these. I recently was gave a talk on campus about this, and I said, I you know, if I had known what I was getting into when I started this as a graduate student, I maybe I wouldn't have done it. Um, but it's just proven to be endlessly fascinating. The two things that stand out to me the most, I think, are the ways in which this connects with all sorts of fascinating musical, historical, social, personal issues, and and all brought to life through the music itself. And also the people I've been able to connect with, to communicate with, to share with performers, listeners, other scholars is, I think, ultimately what makes it really, really important. And that's why performances such as we're going to have on May 1st are so important and so, so valuable and so enjoyable. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing because it there is a sense of community when you do a concert. There's a sense of community when you have an orchestra, a sense of community with with your audience and what you want to do as as a conductor and as a, you know as somebody who's trying to produce music is you want something that is going to be satisfying and and fun you know you want something that's going to be fun for the audience to hear fun for the musicians to play and i have to tell you bruckner's tiring but boy is it fun you know so that's you know that particular element that that is something that you really don't want to ever forget, you know. I was just thinking about how I really have been drawn to his music, like in the same way I'm drawn to Mahler's, and like Ben mentioned, it's it's really more of like a spiritual thing. So, I think audiences and and I hope this uh, podcast reach a lot of people because I just feel like it's it is one of those um, pieces that could really get you into um, more of the classical music world. It's it's really fascinating. One would hope so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you both for your time today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to the show. Thank you so much. Good, good. Look yeah. forward. I look forward to meeting you at the concert, Melissa. That's Dr. Benjamin Korstvet. He's a Bruckner scholar and teaches at Clark University. He's the expert who dug into the composer's history to unearth the 1874 version of Bruckner's Fourth Symphony. You also heard Maestro Warren Cohen of Musica Nova Orchestra, who will be conducting the world premiere performance Sunday, May 1st at 2 p.m. at Scottsdale Performing Arts Center. For tickets and more information, head to scottsdaleperformingarts.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.